John. Good morning, St. John. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Let us all stand as we begin our worship. Our morning scripture is coming from the 100th number of the song. And it reads, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Gracious God, we come now, and Father, we come exalting and lifting up your name and your name only. Father, we come with gratitude and with thanksgiving in our hearts for all that you've done for us. Mostly the fact that you sent your son Jesus to down the cross that we might have this privilege and for that we say thank you. As we enter this worship, let it be acceptable unto you. Father, receive it with all that we give you. Cleanse us. Let us worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, we pray for the singers. We pray for your spoken word. Father, we pray for the ones that are coming in that you would grant them blessings that they stand in the need of. And Lord, we be ever so careful to make sure that your name gets all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In your son Jesus' name we do pray, and all of God's people said, amen. Again, I greet you in the name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. If there be any visitors among us today, know that you're always welcome here at St. John. If you desire salvation or church membership, Please fill out the form in the back of the pew, return it to one of the ushers, the front desk, or you can put it in the offering basket, and we will get back with you promptly. Again, we thank God. We thank God for your being here, and let's give God a hand clap of praise. St. John, this is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. There's a praise in this house. Hallelujah. There's a praise in this house. Everybody dance before him. There's a praise in this house. I can feel him now. There's a praise in this house. Everybody
tonight to praise him. Hallelujah. Because he's worthy of all the praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As we continue into worship. Hallelujah. He's God. He's God all by himself. He doesn't need anybody else or anybody's help. But when we come into his presence, we humble ourselves. And we worship him just for being God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
abundantly above all you ask or think according to his power that worketh in you Say it real quickly. Come on. God is able. God is able to do just what he said. He will do. He's going to fulfill. He's going to fulfill every promise to you. Don't give up on God. Because he won't give up. He's able.
I hope you're enjoying the worship so far. If you are on Facebook, make sure to hit the share button. And if you are on YouTube, make sure to hit the subscribe button. Now, let us get ready for the word of God being brought forth by my grandfather, Dr. Kevin B. Hall. Be blessed. He's God. That's why he's able because he's God. We don't need any other reason for him to be able. He's able because he's God. If we have any visitors in the house... I need to let you know that I am not Kevin Hall. Uh, I'm not Pastor Hall. Uh, he's not here. He's, uh, I'm a little shorter, a little grayer, and a few pounds heavier. So I'm not him. But uh, he's at home resting. He's uh, needed some rest, and so he took a, a needed day of rest and vacation. And so... Uh, we praise God for him and pray, looking forward to him to be here soon. And so if you come back next week, if you're visiting, he'll be here. And you'll get to see who he is. Of course, you've already been looking at the website, so you know who he is. I don't know why I said that. Our text for this morning is coming from the book, The Gospel, according to St. Matthew. Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. And we're going to be reading what is the beginning of a, a large teaching by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the large teaching is called the Sermon on the Mount. But we're going to just look at the first portion of it, which is called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. And so starting at the third verse of the fifth chapter, it reads as such. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I'm going to concentrate today on that last blessed, the ninth, the seventh of the Beatitudes, the ninth verse, and in the ESV it reads, 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Let us pray. Father God, we take this opportunity as always to praise, honor, glorify you. We just ask, Lord, that you would use us in your service. We pray, Father, that you would help us to get out of self. Use my voice, my body, my lips to speak to your people. As always, Father, if there be any honor, glory, or praise, we offer it up to you. A servant's prayer. As a title, I will call this the paternity of peace. The paternity of peace. You may be seated. The celebrated historians Will and Ariel Durant in their book, the lessons of history began the chapter on war and history and war with these words. War is one of the constants of history and has not diminished with civilization and democracy. In the last 3,421 years of history, Only 268 of those have been without war. That is a chilling statement. War is a constant reality of life. Today, anyone old enough to understand what is being said on the television knows that there are multiple wars going on at this very moment. There's one crucial one going on in Ukraine involving one of the superpowers, Russia. The proposed solutions are many. Some are tongue-in-cheek, like the despairing scenario that the Durants put in the mouth of a fictitious general. It said, states will unite in basic cooperation only when they are in common attacked from without. Perhaps we may make contact with ambitious species on other planets or stars. Soon thereafter, there will be interplanetary war. Then and only then will we of this earth be one. Seriously, some would argue the necessity that one of the superpowers would have to gain ascendancy over all the rest, probably by winning a war, and then war would be outlawed. outlawed. A new Pax Romana would come into being. Others hold that inhabitants of the world simply must come to the conclusion that war is unprofitable and refuse to fight. Do you remember the old bumper sticker? What if they had a war and nobody came?
The answer to war, unfortunately, is not a simple matter of bootstrap ethics. It is profoundly theological. What is needed is a radical change in the human race if there is to ever be peace. No one can live the golden rule by mere human will. No one can even master one of the Beatitudes in his own strength. Peace is impossible for humans as humans. Thus, the grand relevance of the seventh Beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. This divine pronouncement understood taken to heart and applied by the Holy Spirit can not only bring about inner peace to our troubled hearts, but also make us instruments of peace, peacemakers. Fundamental to the understanding what Christ is saying here is the precise meaning of this exquisite word, peacemakers. Taking the first half of the word peace, it means much the same as the Hebrew word shalom, which bears the idea of wholeness and overall well-being. When a Jew said shalom, he was wishing another more than the absence of trouble, but everything that makes life for the highest good. God's peace is not narrowly defined. It is much more than the absence of strife. It means enjoyment of all that is good. The second half of the word makers demands that we understand that the person is to not be passive, but is a source of peace. As it is used here, it is a dynamic word, bursting with energy. Both parts of the word, peacemakers, taken together, describe one who acutely, actively pursues peace in its fullness. He pursues more than the absence of conflict. He pursues wholeness and well-being. He pursues the enjoyment of good. Bearing this in mind, we can then understand what a peacemaker is not. A peacemaker is not a kind person who does not care what anyone else does as long as it doesn't directly affect him. Neither is a peacemaker always tolerant. You do your thing and I'll do mine. Nor is a peacemaker an appeaser, the kind who wants peace at any price. Appeasement does not bring about peace. It just puts off a conflict. The true peacemaker contrary to what most people may think, is not afraid of making waves. 
So what is a peacemaker? What then is a peacemaker like? To begin with, he is characterized by honesty. If there is a problem, he admits it. The prophet Ezekiel warned against those who act as if all is well when it is not. He says, they say, peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash, say to those who smear it with whitewash, at, with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain, and you, O oh great hailstones, will fall, and a stormy wind will break out. Jeremiah, employing similar phrasing, put it memorably, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. The peacemaker doesn't do this. He is painfully honest about the true status of relationships in the world, in the society in which he moves, and in his own personal dealings with the people that he has around him. He admits failed relationships. He admits when he is at odds with others. He refuses to say peace. Peace when there is no peace. How this speaks to real life. We tend to putty over the cracks. This is a particularly male tendency. Even in our most intimate relationship, men tend to activist everything is okay, even when it's not. Men avoid reality because they want peace. But their avoidance, as Jeremiah says, just heals over the wound lightly and prepares the way for greater trouble. Next, the peacemaker is willing to risk pain. At any time that we attempt to bring peace personally or in the society, we necessarily will bring about some understand, misunderstanding and failure. If we have been wrong, there is the pain of apologizing. On the other hand, many will have to shoulder the equally difficult pain of rebuking another. In any case, the peacemaker has to be willing to risk it. The temptation to let things slide. We can't do that. It is so easy to rationalize that trying to bring true peace will only make things worse. These two qualities of a peacemaker, honesty about the true status of peace and the willingness to risk pain in pursuing peace, beautifully anticipate the next quality of a peacemaker. And this one is a paradox. You see, the peacemaker is a fighter. He makes trouble to make peace. He wages peace. The late John Lewis would say he makes good trouble. 
God's word enjoins such peacemaking, telling us to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace in Ephesians 4 and 3. It also says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live, live peaceably with all, Romans 12 and 18. St. Francis of Assisi understood this call to be active in the pursuit of peace. He said, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hate, may I bring love. Where offense, may I bring pardon. May I bring union in the place of discord. That the peacemaker is a fighter in no way justifies a verbal license to kill. He should never be thoughtless or pugnacious. Rather, his personality must be permeated with the shalom of God. He is gentle. James wrote, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The peacemaker is positive. He is tolerant in the best sense of the world, of the word. He realizes we are all a fallen stock. And so he doesn't demand perfection of anyone. He is humble and he is loving. How beautiful true peacemakers are. Filled with peace themselves, they are honest about the state of, of the relationships around them, whether personal or in the church or in the world. They are honest about what is in their own hearts and sensitive to where others are. They refuse to be satisfied with cheap peace. They are willing to risk pain and misunderstanding to make things right. Peacemakers will often fight for peace. Our Lord himself, of course, was the supreme peacemaker. He is the glorious prince of peace prophesied by Isaiah the messianic fulfillment of the new covenant of peace. At his birth, angels celebrated this fulfillment, this fulfillment singing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those to whom, with whom he is pleased. What we must see is that there is nothing cheap about his peacemaking. The apostle Paul wrote this in Colossians 1, 19 and 20. He said, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus saw the gravity of the problem. And he refused to sweep it under a rug. 
Only a drastic solution would suffice. And so he made peace through his blood. Christ is our supreme example of sacrificial aggression in bringing peace. He also became the source of peace among all men. In Ephesians, the second chapter, starting at the 13th verse, it says, But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down the in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. And it says later on, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. By becoming our peace, he thus dispenses his shalom into our hearts. In John 14, 27, he said, Peace I live with you, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give. This in turn enables us to promote in each other everything that means that makes for well-doing. The cost of this enabling power is beyond computation. It was attained for us with the precious blood of Jesus, like a lamb without blemish or spot, 1 Peter 1.19. Jesus not only made peace possible with God and peace among men, he gave us an example of about how a peacemaker goes about his work. In Philippians 2, 3 through 8, he says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by making, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. In obtaining our peace, our Lord didn't grasp his glory and dignity, but instead he humbled himself. The example stands for us who are called to be peacemakers. This is expensive. It costs to make peace. 
Peacemakers are willing to lower themselves, to even lose their dignity in order to bring shalom into life. This is why peacemakers have always been this way. It is a radical call to be a peacemaker. We can't overemphasize the radical nature of this call. Peacemaker, peacemaking is commended by Jesus, but it is not a natural human quality. It is above human nature. It is impossible in our human selves. As such, it is a wonder that this beatitude has become a favorite text for those who know little about Christianity. Secular pacifists love to quote Matthew 5, 9, along with Isaiah 2 and 4, which says, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. These people argue that the Beatitudes, especially this seventh Beatitude, are the real gospel. If only men would practice them, the world would be renewed. Of course, they're right as far as they go. For if these beautiful attitudes were really practiced, there wouldn't be any more war. However, peacemaking cannot take place without a radical change in the human heart and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. The radicalness of Christ's call to peacemaking demands a change in human character. One must first experience the shalom of God. No one can become a peacemaker until he has found peace himself. Without grace, we are natural enemies of God and of one another. Our hearts must be changed. We cannot give what we do not possess. The inner change coupled with dependence on the Spirit is what makes a peacemaker. The Holy Spirit molds the character of peacemakers' lives so that they become increasingly gentle, humble, and loving. He increases their integrity so that they can, gain, they can honestly evaluate the development of peace in their own lives and in the lives of those in society. He also leads them to risk pain and misunderstanding in the pursuit of peace. Now let's look at this sublime benefit. It says, they shall be called sons of God. They have divine paternity an inheritance 
from above. The meaning here is really breathtaking. The pronoun in this sentence is emphatic. If you look at this in the Greek word order, it says, for they, sons of God, shall be called. The idea is that they and they only shall be called God's sons. The passive voice indicates that it is God, not man, who assigns them the title sons. The sublimity of the promise comes from the fact that the title sons of God refers to character. You have to understand that, that in, in the Hebrew language, they don't have any adjectives. And so they can't say that that is a humble man. They have to say he is a son of humility. You see? <laughs> and so they don't say that when, when they're saying this here, uh, what, what they're saying is that the person has the character of God, that the peacemaster, the peacemaker takes on the character of God. He is like God in the way he lives. No wonder God says, blessed are the peacemakers. The proper question to ask next is, what title does God assign us? Each of us need to ask, are we peacemakers? And if we are not peacemakers but troublemakers, then there is a high probability that we are not true children of God. Regardless of how predominantly we may declare our evangelicalism. Peacemakers are sometimes troublemakers for the sake of peace, but not troublemakers who spread rumors or gossip about others. If you are constantly being fomenting discontent, if you find joy in the report of trouble and scandal, if you are omnicritical, always fault-finding, if you are unwilling to be involved in peacemaking, if you are mean, if these negative qualities characterize your life, then you are probably not a true Christian. Again, this is not a matter of whether you fall into these things or are struggling to confront them, but rather whether these elements are part of your character. You see, everybody slips every now and then. Everybody falls into sin. But when it's your pattern, when it's what you do all the time, If that is what you like, then I tell you, you need to take a day off from your regular scheduled activities and spend it with scriptures. Put the Bible out before you and look for the face of God. His word promises that you will find peace. 
Romans 5 and 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our faith. And then through Jesus Christ. Then verse 510 says, For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So how can I be a peacemaker? As we first saw, a peacemaker must experience the peace of God himself. The futility of Christians attempting to make peace when their own inner lives are waging civil wars is evidence in the fact that you cannot impart what you don't possess. If we are believers but have receded from the fullness of Christ's shalom, we must come to him honestly and ask for a fresh implanting of his peace. Then we must remember that this seventh beatitude is the last beatitude that describes the character of the Christian. And that all the other beatitudes build up to it. Peacemakers are developed as they descend the ladder of the beatitudes. Beatitude one. These people have experienced the poverty of spirit, the recognition that they have nothing within them to commend them to God. In fact, it remains their ongoing awareness and as such is the ground for their ongoing spiritual blessing. Beatitude 2. These have come face to face with their own sin and they mourn over it. Beatitude three, due to the authenticity of the poverty of their spirit and mourning, they are gentle and humble in dealing with others. Beatitude four, because they have experienced poverty of spirit and mourning and meekness, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. Beatitude five, the reality of their own need makes these people merciful to others. Beatitude six, the blood of Christ has cleansed them and their pure lives are focused on him and thus they are blessed with an ongoing vision of God. Beatitude 7. And now these, having been so infused by Christ's peace and the character of the kingdom, they become peacemakers. Peacemakers are those through whom the entire Beatitudes course again and again, sometimes in order, sometimes out of order, sometimes singly, sometimes all together. 
They have the character of the king. They have the character of God. They are peacemakers. Albert Noble, a Swedish physicist, created dynamite. His intentions were awesome when he created dynamite. He wanted to create an explosive that could move rock to build roads and get things out of the way to build buildings. He wanted to create a force that was so powerful and that would make life better. The problem is that people took his creation and used it for destructive purposes, to kill people and to make war. So depressed was Mr. Noble that his good intention was being used so wrong that he took $9 million, put it into an account, and began to award people for promoting peace. We call it the Nobel Peace Prize. What motivated him was the fact that what he intended for good was being used for wrong. He wanted to award those who were doing what his intentions were. When people get this award, they become internationally known as Nobel Peace Prize winners. They are called that name because they made peace instead of making war. Brothers and sisters, God is looking for some Nobel Peace Prize winners. Some folks that he can bless and award because they are making peace and not war. They are making peace with the method that includes the blood of Christ. This morning, I want you to honestly ask yourself, am I a peacemaker? Am I one who displays the character of God? Am I one whom Jesus would call his son? Well, in order to answer that question, you probably first have to answer this one. Do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Because without knowing him as Lord and Savior, you have no chance of other ever developing his character. You have no chance of ever being merciful. You have no chance of ever living out the peace that he wants you to live. 
You have to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You have to accept what he did for you. He lived on this world. And he was obedient to the Father even to the point of death on the cross. Not that he would gain anything, but so that you and I would have a right to the tree of life. But we can't leave him there. As the folks said, he got up one day. Early one Sunday morning. He got up with all power in his hand. Declared that if we would just love him and follow him, he would be with us forever. He's alive. And he's looking for those who will follow him. Do you know him as Savior and Lord? And if you do, are you practicing the Beatitudes? If you know him, are you always enjoying spiritual blessings because you recognize that there's nothing in you that has done it, but there was all God? Are you one who has come face to face with your own sin and mourn over it, but celebrate because Christ defeated it? Are you one who due to the authenticity of your poverty in spirit and mourning, you are now gentle and humble in your dealing with others because you are following the example of Christ? Are you one who are hungering after righteousness? Are you one, because God was merciful to you, have learned to be merciful to others? Are you one who, because you have been cleansed with the blood of Christ, you are now constantly seeing visions of him as he works in the world and he works through you? And then finally, are you one who strives to make peace between one brother and another. Are you God's peacemaker? Father God. <laughs> Father God, we, we do thank you for this word. Lord, help us to be peacemakers. Especially now in this time when we are so overwhelmed with war that's going on around us. We look to Ukraine and we are, feel helpless. And maybe we can do nothing about what's happening in Ukraine. But Lord, help us to make peace in our homes. Help us to make peace 
on our jobs. Help us to make peace in our communities. Lord, help us to be at peace in our church. And Lord, if there's someone who doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, bring about peace between them and God that they may know your salvation and know your love. Lord, I do want to take a moment to lift up the generosity of the people of God. As they bring their tithes and offerings, Lord, bless them, strengthen them, and then use their gifts for the building of your kingdom, for the ministry to your world. And Lord, as we leave this place, I do pray that we will leave with the knowledge that we serve a God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. And he does it through the power that he's already placed within us. Lord, I pray for glory in your church and in your world. In Jesus' name, amen. If we have any visitors, I again want to welcome you to St. John, we are excited that you chose to worship with us today. And we look forward and welcome you to come again and again and again. If you need Christ or if you're looking for church membership, there's a form that you can get just by raising your hands and the ushers will bring it to you or when you're leaving, you can pick one up at the desk. If you fill out that form and turn it in, either to an usher or to the desk or put it in the offering tray when you come by, we will get back to you immediately. I do want to remind us that we at St. John have worship two times on Sunday morning, 9 o'clock at the North Campus and 11 o'clock here at this campus. On Monday, we will be preparing for the grocery giveaway right down, th down the hall there. Come here on Monday morning. On Tuesday at noon, we will be giving away groceries at this campus and at the North Campus. And then on Wednesday, we have our prayer meetings, one at noon and another at 6.30. You can go through the website to sign in and participate with us in corporate prayer. And then following that corporate prayer, we have our church school at 7 o'clock. I need to mention that we also have church school on Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock for those who uh, would prefer to 
study the word together at that time. We want to, again, thank you for participating with us in this time of worship. I thank you for listening to me as the deacons come forward and as the ushers direct, you will be dismissed after participating in the offering. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. I hope that you have been blessed by the word that went forth today. And listen, without your support, we can't do what we're doing here. And so let me tell you a little bit about tithes and offering. And it's here in this scripture, Malachi 3, 8, and 9. And it says, Will a man rob God, yet ye have robbed me? But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offering? Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now let me take it a step further. And it says in verse 10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That's what the word says. So we encourage you to continue giving to St. John. Now listen, there's various ways that you can give. One, you can give in person during our worship celebrations. Two, you can mail or drop off at the South Campus or our, our administration building. Three, you can give online. Now listen, you can find more information about where those locations are by visiting our website. Um, in the meantime, we thank you for joining us today. We hope that you were blessed, and we hope that you will have a blessed week in the Lord.